Hi again, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. Fans of Fish, Pink Floyd, The Grateful Dead, these fans are all great. But nothing compares to the fans of the homegrown Boston band, Neighbor. Whether that is hyperbole or not, Ron, you can find the definition of that word in a dictionary. The fellas in Neighbor would argue that they do have the greatest fans in the world. Neighbor is Richard James, Dan Kelly, Dean Johnson, a.k.a. The Ducks, and Lyle Brewer. Four guys who serendipitously came together, either as childhood friends or were dragged to their first early neighbor show at the now sadly closed Thunder Road. Their musicianship is off the charts, with epic solos and songs that seem to morph into other songs until you realize that they brought us on a different path, only to finish up with the popping of a confetti cannon, a familiar riff we heard 20 minutes ago, and ending with a hug or a high five, once COVID is over, of course, from your newly formed friend for life in the audience. Does that make sense? Anyways, you got to go see a neighbor show to really get it. They are so great. And ATB was there to film one of these shows, and it is coming soon on our Boston Live concert films. But I digress. We had a fantastic chat and talked about their great fans, how grassroots marketing and musical generosity and the love of their fans have built the phenomenon the world will soon know, the band called Neighbor. This is part one of two, so please be sure to listen to both parts. So, here is our conversation, part one, recorded virtually in Boston, Massachusetts. Hello, Lyle. Hi, Lyle. Yeah. We're going to need you to be closer to the mics. That's a cool microphone, man. Thank you. (laughs) Dude, so I got this, like, USB mic, and it, it just doesn't, I tried to test it, and it didn't work. Oh, really? Wow, what are you running that through? Through uh, a Focusrite audio interface. You are? Yep. Yep. I'll be right back, because you sound great. I sound like shit. You sound all right. Oh, do I? Well, I mean, you know, you sound like you're in your home on StreamYard, so. Okay. You know, it's funny. When I mentioned that on email. I got this at uh nam in 2005 well the problem with these these stream yards whatever even zoom they it usually sounds like everybody's underwater yeah i can't hear myself there's like a little delay and it's just like really low i can hear i mean lyle you're very low richard i can hear you i am there's the ducks hello gentlemen there you go i hear you i'm doing all right how are you and then what is we're just waiting for uh, Dean. Damn. I mean, Damn. Dan. I'm going to call everybody by their wrong name. I already called uh, Richard uh, James. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Pretty close, though. <laughs> uh, I can put my – you can call me the Ducks or you can call me Dean, whatever you want. Or I can change it to Dean if you if it makes it easier. No, the Ducks is fine. Why, you, why do they call you – this is a question I was going to ask later, but might as well while we're waiting. Uh, why do they call you the Ducks? Uh, it's not a great story, unfortunately. It comes from college. Um, a bunch of us watching a Bruins Mighty Ducks hockey game, and um, we were, we were drinking a few beers, and uh, the you know the the announcer kept saying uh, the Mighty Ducks this, the Mighty Ducks that, whatever. And I was like, you know what? The Mighty Ducks is a great singular nickname. And so I just started walking around the room, going, "I am the Mighty Ducks. I'm the Mighty Ducks," and I would not acknowledge. <laughs> I wouldn't acknowledge anyone unless they called me the Ducks. I would not okay, require it. 
Wow. And uh, it stuck just like that. And now everyone everyone calls me the Ducks. My mom calls me the Ducks. Your mom calls you the Ducks. Everyone. It's not even Ducks. It's like the edge from you two. You have to be like the Ducks. Yeah, my niece and nephew call me Uncle the Ducks. And they're not, they're not allowed to call me Uncle Ducks. Uncle the Ducks. Uh, wait, hold on. We got one more coming in here. Yeah, it says Dan is trying uh, And let, pull him up. There you uh, go. Is now a good time to tell Dan that we're firing him from the band, or we should say <laughs> that? Finally. Yeah, hey, hey, kid. Thank you. Hello. Dan, how are you, man? I'm fired. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> he was good up until right now. Yeah, That's okay. I fired, now, I fired Ronnie like seven or eight times. And <laughs> It's like you ever see that um, Seinfeld episode where George quits and then he realizes he's not going to be able to find a job. So he just shows up for work the next day, hoping that nobody notices. And he stayed there, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so like, what are you doing here? He's like, what do you mean? You quit. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, that thing? No, I was just joking. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan. That's going to be you the next gig. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, wow, look at this. We got the whole freaking band. I'm yeah. sorry we can't be in your barn, Rick. That's all good. But, uh, you know, this is obviously the the world that we live in now. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad to see everybody. Everyone looks healthy. Everyone all right? Yeah, Great. Doing good. All right. Good. You all sound very cool. Excited. Right on. Um, Neighbor in the stream house. Yeah. yeah you guys used stream nerd before? Never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, first time for me. Oh, really? yeah, well, you first time for yeah. me too. Really? We're streaming. The other guys weren't in the room, Rick, when we talked to you at Soundscape. Soundcheck. Soundcheck. Soundscape is where we get our merch from. That's where we get our merch from. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I told you when we got our when I picked up my merch, they were making your merch. That's right. I remember yeah. that. So I get them all mixed up all the time. Uh, so, so does my dad. We, we asked you a couple <laughs> questions to kind of get that onto the film that we'll talk about later. Chuck is all of our dads. <laughs> Fuck you, man. What the heck? It's not supposed to be. said, so does my dad. You get it mixed up. <laughs> so what are you saying? Chuck thinks I'm a failure? <laughs> I'd never say that out loud. Oh, God. Only online. But what I, what I thought we would do is I wanted to kind of – Talk about you know how neighbor founded and, and got together. Um, the first time I heard you guys or heard about you guys was actually from our mutual friend James McDonald. You guys know James McDonald. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he was working with um, ATB for about six months before he went back to Life Is Good, and he's like, "You guys got to check out Neighbor. They're amazing. They're selling out Thunder Road all the time. They got a killer fan base that's just unbelievable." And we got to see that kind of firsthand at uh, at Soundscape, although Soundcheck, Soundcheck, and um, uh, even though we couldn't have the full audience that you usually would have, you, we could still see the love and the and the camaraderie and just um, everything that you mean to them and they mean to you. So maybe you could just kind of talk about how Neighbor came to be and how that without any albums. Um, released without any kind of you know real presence out there other than in Thunder Road, how neighbor came to be. That's a lot of questions in there, but uh, before I get going on that and have the guys help me on that, I want to give you guys a proper congratulations for your Boston Music Award. Thank you. Good job. Oh, 
Best podcast in Boston, man. Well done. Yeah, really? Thank you. It was podcast of the year, technically. Podcast of the year. Come on. I mean, yeah. same thing. That's, that's, that's and, fantastic. And, and as far as I know, who's the one who has like 10 Thank you. Boston Music Awards? Right. Someone here does. Uh, right? That's probably Ducks. I, uh, yeah, I have a bunch. Yeah, I have a bunch. <laughs> they just, you know, I keep one in the bathroom. Like, yeah, I won four this year. Uh, I don't know for who. It's old, it's old hat for him. So. Uh, he emailed us and he said, the only way I'm coming on a show is if the podcast has actually gotten a Boston Music Award. <laughs> and then he can relate. You know, luckily yeah. we did. Yes, we we're very excited about it. We we're honored. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of really uh, great people and great productions who are also on the on the ballot. So we we're very excited. Um, but so thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Nice. Yeah, well done. It was great actually meeting you for the first time last year uh, at, at the at the Boston Music Awards. When, when we, uh, That's right. right. When yeah. we, we, we were not victorious, but, uh, Neither were we. yeah, but you know, it was, it was, uh, it was great to be nominated for it. Um, and to just be in the running with a lot of other great artists. So, especially as like, you know, as a new band like us and somebody who was just kind of developing our sound and everything that was, it was cool. It was a cool little nod to us. And I, I thought that was great. So neighbor, oh, man, where do I start on this one? It's, uh, it started as just a band and, you know, just uh, a couple guys who were just wanting to get together and play every week and play some original music. And it grew into this much bigger thing now. It's not just a band anymore. It's just a, a community of people who are positive people who are doing good for other people. Uh, and it's all kind of based around this this band and the, and the music of this band. And... I'm getting also getting some weird slap back here in my headphones. It's hard to like think, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we started in January of 2019 and we just built this residency each week, uh, person by person. And uh, you know, people kept the neighbors kept spreading the word. It just kept growing from there and it, it snowballed into something much, much bigger into not just a band, but into like a communal movement, like a, of, of positivity, which is crazy. You know, neighbors helping neighbors and people helping people out and raising money. And as, you know, as the neighbor community grew, uh, the band grew and the music catalog grew and we grew together as a band. And it just, it's, uh, it's grown into something that, I mean, I didn't ever think would achieve the heights that it has and it's just it's steamrolling right now which is awesome so it's it's fun now was it literally just a way for you to jam and you didn't expect it to go any further than that um i don't know lyle what do you think ricky 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 had a you know called me and wanted to see if i would you know just be up for like you know doing some kind of like tuesday night you know residency in boston um we hadn't we hadn't been playing music together the whole kind of backstory between rick and myself we act, we actually grew up right right next door to each other um we you guys known were actual it, neighbors yeah i mean i've known ricky for like like longer than anybody i've known him for like 32 years or something you know at this point and uh you know i wasn't like I wasn't really like involved in any kind of full-time projects at the time. You know, I was like, I was playing a lot of solo gigs and like, um, you know, teaching 
And, uh, you know, I just thought it would be fun to just kind of have a consistent band and, you know, maybe just have a way of just kind of getting together and, and plan. And there were, there were, there weren't any real intentions to make it like an all original band. I remember when we first talked about it, you know, it was, we were going to do like a mix of originals and covers and some, my like some of my instrumental tunes and, and a bunch of Ricky's tunes from his older band. And, um, I think once we started playing together, we realized that it was a that you know it's like it's it's super comforting you know playing with someone who you've known forever you know and uh, and it just you know it just it just felt like the band that I was supposed to be in and right. um, once we moved to Thunder Road and you know there were maybe at the time there were maybe like fifteen or twenty people who would kind of come out to see us every week. Um, I think I remember having a conversation with with Ricky where we you know decided you know if people are going to come see us we should we should really try to create a new identity for this project and we should try to put our heads together and at the time I hadn't really written any and like co-written any songs with uh, anyone you know um I think a lot of our musical sensibilities were the same where we liked, you know, we liked uh, American Roots music. We liked jam, jam bands, obviously, um, you know, classical music and jazz and, you know, um, improvisational songs. And uh, it seemed like every time that every time that we would like take take a risk or take a chance, the bond between the band members and the bond between the band and the fans was like strengthened. So it became this kind of thing where like we just kind of kept having success with all the different like musical risks that that we would you know end up taking well it's interesting when you say musical risk the yeah. one thing i think of is uh is improv and it's like that yeah. release where you have the confidence and i want to get into this too with you guys with your improv skills and how you sort of own that within the structure of a song but taking those risks musically is like taking those, you can see it on a bigger scale. Like I, I know what type of risk you're talking about, but I, you can yeah. see it like at a micro level when you guys play. I want to ask a question about before we get into the rest of the band, because you guys knew each other when you were like five years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you like literally grew up next to each other and were like hanging out as like kindergartners, right? Uh, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was in uh like I used to I used to go to Ricky's house to watch his high school band practice. And what I was the name of your high school band? There was a couple. I think I think the one you're talking about is probably Flyway. Fat Bob and the Rhythm Pigs was the other one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So but when you guys would like would would hang out together at yeah. that time versus fast forward to neighbor. When you yeah. look at each other on stage and like you play together, do you kind of like think back to that when you guys were kids too? That would just blow my mind. I say that because yeah. I, I've done a very similar thing. I grew up with musician friends and I was in bands with them, but then we yeah. sort of broke up and we went on our own ways. You guys right. did the reverse. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely see it. When I'm on stage and I look at Lyle, there is a, there is a total childhood-like emotion behind it. Yeah. Because when we were younger, I feel like everybody was trying to be like, you know, just the best and like, you know, trying to be the best of their instrument and trying to like cut each other and take the best solos. And like, yeah. now 
it's just something it's something so much cooler because we're working together and we're listening a lot more and it's just like yeah we're you know we're taking yeah. all of those days and like all of those like hours and hours and hours of playing together in like middle school in the basement and just like right. turning it on its head and making it something completely different and awesome and i'm just i go back to lyle's basement playing in lyle's basement with like his marshall stack you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, nice. There's a, there's a there's a real there's a real sense in me too that you know like if I write an instrumental song and I send it to Rick and he writes you know words, it's like it's like I feel like I can just play a melody and Rick knows what I'm trying to say. Really? And I've always kind of wanted to have that connection with someone else, but I think I think you know like history and context and life experience is. You know, it turns out that that stuff is really, really important. Now it's two years with two new brothers. Yeah, Dean and Dan, right? And so it, it's almost two yeah. years with you guys. Uh, yeah, it is. I was I was next in. Um, I first played with Lyle when he was a, still a kid. Uh, we were in a band called um, Christian. Mc, well, the, it was called the Sea Monsters with Christian McNeil. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It was a, it was a Sunday night residency at uh, Precinct. Precinct. Oh, and yeah. it turned into. It, I used again, to go watch that. It was a residency that turned into something uh, really great at the time. Mm. And uh, I wasn't the regular drummer, but I ended up su subbing in a lot somewhere in the middle. And Lyle, I think, was twenty two or twenty three at the time. Lyle, you were pretty young. Yeah, and um, but you know when you play with, and I think it was a nine-piece band that night. Tim Garen was in the band. There was three horns, whatever. But I still remember. It. I remember what Lyle looked like. The whole thing because it was like, I like playing with this kid. You know, there was a connection immediately. And I remember Lyle actually. We were in like tune number two or tune number three, and um, Lyle just gave me the the look back at one point mm. of like you know, this is happening that kind of thing you just get the look and um so you know what, what was that that was 13 years ago maybe 14 yeah, years ago and, i think he's um, giving you that look right now actually yeah well <laughs> <laughs> um, but we haven't played a lot since uh just often really pretty rarely um yeah. we we you know we travel kind of in the same circle but just not quite on the same gigs and then um just before Neighbor started, uh, I saw Lyle at one of my gigs. I think it was, um, it might have been the Duke 70 show or maybe it was Club yeah, Delphi. Yeah, it was gig. The Duke 70 show. We just talked for a second. It was like, man, it would be great to play, you know? Yeah, we should play sometime. We should do a thing. And then maybe a month later, I sent Lyle, it was uh, February of last year. And February is the worst month when I don't have any gigs. And I start to feel like shit, like nobody loves me anymore. Oh. So, uh, Doxy. The self-esteem was plummeting. So I sent out yeah. a bunch of emails. Like, um, and it's Valentine's like, Day that month, too. It's just all It's awful. Up. It's awful. My wife hates me. Uh, so I sent, I sent Lyle a note like, yo, Lyle, we should, you know, we should play. It would be great, whatever. And um, I don't know if that planted a seed. And... It was probably about six weeks later that uh, he sent me a note to come down and play. He was like, hey, we're just doing this Tuesday night bar gig. You want to come down and play? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I would do. And uh, the first time I played, I think there was 37 people. And it was nice. It just felt great. We just played groove tunes. I didn't, uh, I didn't muck it up all that much. I just tried to play pocket, and we had a great time. 
It was actually it was amazing playing with playing with Dean for the first time because Lyle was just like, dude, he's like, okay, trust me, this guy is super chill. He's like, you know, he's very easy to work with. Just send him the tunes. Just make sure you send him the tunes. As long as you send him the tunes, yeah. we're good. Good. So I was like, okay, okay, send him the tunes. <laughs> I think I sent him the tunes like the day before. <laughs> I was like, yo, man, you got the tune. <laughs> yo, man, you got the tune. I was like, all right. And it wasn't he wasn't even like angry or anything. I he just he got the tunes. He listened to like three hours of music and he came and all the little nuances. Everything he had notes, he wrote out drum charts. He crushed again, and we were just like, "Oh my goodness, this is this, this is awesome!" And and it was it was great that that Lyle uh, that Lyle pulled Dean into the fold because it just worked so nicely. That wow, was awesome. Yeah. Very lucky. And then and there then, was Dan. And then there's Dan. Yeah. Yep, this there was all Dan. happening years and years before I was born. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is only 17 years old. Yeah, when me and Lyle were jamming this basement, Dan was nowhere to be found. Uh, I was yeah, a in twinkle, his in, uh, eye. twinkle in Ricky's eye. <laughs> Whoa, dude. In Ricky's eye? No, this is a better story than I thought. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, joined, I joined the band in the summer of last year. I think it was June or July. I've known Ricky uh, over the years because of Pink Talk and Fish and playing similar bills with um, my other band. I'm in an original band, New Motif. I knew of Ricky and I knew of Neighbor because New Motif's in the jam scene as well. And um, I remember just hearing all this, all this hype, like just so much hype. Dan, you got to come up here. You got to come up to Thunder Road. All of our, um, all of our neighbors and friends and fans, family. Got to get up to Thunder Road. This band kills. This band crushes. Kicks total ass. Get up here. And I just, I couldn't, I could never do it. Um, I lived in Plymouth. Um, I think at the time I was living on the Cape. And I have a day gig, uh, day job, nine to five. So it was just kind of like tough for me to do it. And then one week, our buddy Chaz was like, hey, man, you should really come out. Like, just, just do it. I'll drive. It'll be fun. We can leave whenever you want. You don't have to stay till one in the morning if you don't want to. I was like, all right, that's cool. And um, he was like, you should bring your bass with you. And I was like, uh, probably not. And, um, and I, did, I didn't pick my bass. But uh, Chaz was like, all right, cool, I'll pick you up. And uh, he picked me up. I, I didn't bring my bass. Like I said, I wouldn't. I didn't, I didn't want to play. You know, I, I wanted to just go and listen and enjoy the hang and just see some people. And I went up, got there, and at set break, uh, Ricky approached me and asked me if I wanted to play a tune which was like the last thing I wanted to do, to be honest, because I just wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to like really like give my all and listen and experience the band and just check it out. So I was like, all right, sweet, we'll do this. So um, I went up with their original bass player, um, Mike Meeksis, with on his bass, his uh, music man. He had a cool four-string, old-school bass. And we did a couple covers that I chose and just explained briefly before they're just like blues tunes and it was a great time we had we had so much fun we jammed we listened some I think we, we played that uh I don't need no doctor tune but like the the Schofield uh John Mayer version I don't know if you guys are familiar with that but it's a oh, sick yeah. little groove played like a 15 minute version of that <laughs> and just had a really good time went home went about my week I think it was like later that week when when Ricky called me and asked me if I would ever want to pursue playing a neighbor um, and I had to think about it like a lot because 
you know, it was at the time it was just Tuesdays. It wasn't really a whole lot to commit to, but going into that, you know, there was a good 40, 50 tunes that I, I had to learn in like a week <laughs> to play the next gig or two weeks yeah. that I had because you guys had like a week off. Maybe, um, PTF was on tour. So I was like, all right, let's do this thing. He sent me over this huge, huge, huge Google document full of like just all these tunes, recordings and stuff. And uh, I shedded what I could and we got together, I think, real yeah. quick for like a couple hours in Ricky's barn. And then that Tuesday we played played the full gig uh, with all four of us. First one. Like, These were all covers or it was a mix? Like mostly originals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. were a lot of covers, but at that point, at that point, there was a, there was a good amount of really awesome original music that Ricky and Lyle had, had put together. Um, what was that? June? Was that June or July? Or? I think it was late, late June. Yeah, a total a total blessing, man. It's funny too, cause like I, I almost didn't go that night. You know, it's kind of one of those situations where I was like, I want to check this band out. I really want to. I really want to, but you know, and the other side of my brain's like, oh, you got to get up at six in the morning. But I'm really, I'm glad I did. But it's funny because I really like, I almost didn't. We're glad you did too, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. Dan does a uh, um like um like uh like he obviously you know plays bass really well. But you know something we really needed was a uh, harmony vocal, yeah. mm. and that that was that was something that was like really needed in the group. And Dan just came in and just took it upon himself to give that to the group, and that really that really helped fill out the sound a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the, and you got that high register too. That's a little higher. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, it's cool. Um, Nowadays, we we we're experimenting with four part harmony in some of the songs, which is like yeah. really awesome. You know. Oh. Yeah. yeah, cool. You know, a couple years ago, me and my buddy David Moore, he was in our other <laughs> frogs. Uh, David has a separate band that it's really just himself, but um, and we played that the Blue Ocean Music Hall, yeah, Music Hall, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we opened up for America when they were playing there, and there's a big sign for Pink Talking Fish, and I was like, oh, I've heard about these guys, Pink Talking Fish, and um, one thing I do hear. In your song, I do hear a little. It's not. I think you'd ha you have to be a fan to, to to really hear it, but I hear a little Floyd in some of your songs. Oh, definitely. Um, Fish, I'm not. Maybe Ron. Ron could talk to Fish more. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know Fish very well at all. Um, and and I certainly hear a little a little heads in there. I guess not. But but Floyd is what I heard the the most the most out of it. What's what's that, Lyle? I was gonna say the absolute loudest music I've ever listened to in my life was driving around with with Ricky in high school and him playing uh uh Shine on You Crazy Diamond. It was like the most like deafening sound I've ever like, like I think we went in the woods and we did something that I can't talk about. But then he just goes, dude. And I've, I've like. You should talk about it now because my brain's just going a mile. Man, I was like, I thought, I thought my legs were going to like explode because the side speakers, it was just like. And uh, yeah, so, uh, so that whole, that whole pink, pink, pink Floyd influence makes a ton of sense. Yeah, right. Oh my God, it was so loud. 
<laughs> well, it's interesting Red, because neighbor, yeah. bread, nice, nice bread. I can hear a good bread song right now. Bread, um, don't diss bread, baby. No, 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 I love no, no, bread. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, like a, the reason I'm in the reason I'm in pink talking fish is for the pink. I mean, that's you know, I mean, oh, that's that's kind of weird. Ah. <laughs> for the pink. Wow. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> right. I know. That's kind of dumb. I'm surprised Dean didn't have an instant comeback on that. Um, but <laughs> Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is. Pink Floyd. I hope. I hope. What do I say? What do I say? Uh, Pink Floyd. That's, I mean, that's. Yeah, me it, too. It's the most moving thing for me. Uh, yeah. Musically. I love Fish. Um, I love going to their concerts. I love the energy. I love to see the like fanatics um, who just like really are die so die hard. I know that there's die hard talking heads and die hard Pink Floyd fans, but like the intensity, the intensity that surrounds Fish's fandom, it, it, it's yeah. insane. It's insane. Yeah, it's awesome. No fans like Fish fans. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know that's that's what kind of drew me to them because I was one. I became one of those people, and I started touring with them and just like going from city to city because I was just so enamored with the whole package, the the show, like the how incredible and like how like well-versed, like how, how uh, the multitude of genres that the band touched on, like, and that's kind of something that I, that's, that's what I would think that I wanted to take into this band was basing this band off of, you know, there's a really good. There's, bear with me here. There's a really good like vibe between us and the crowd. A real like happy, everybody's excited vibe. But when we step on stage, what we try to do, I feel like, is touch upon like all of the human emotions. Because right. if you just if you just pay if you just play three hours of happy music, it's going to be the most boring shit you've ever seen. You're going to want you're going to walk out of there being like, okay, no more. You know. But like, we try to do, you know, happy sad curious mysterious like you know uh, angry epic angry like Evil you know, and, and take and take people through the gamut, like run the gamut of like the human emotions because different emotions emit different chemical reactions you know in, in each person and like yeah. and, it, and it makes people feel certain ways and different you know in different feelings and stuff like and I, I feel like that fish did that for me a lot yeah it's they, spot on yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of what I wanted to bring. I didn't want it to just be one type of music. I, and and what was so cool about Lyle's music is he would write instrumental stuff, and the way that it hit me might have been might have been a little bit different than the way it hit Lyle, but it still made for something super interesting for the both of us. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and and it, and it made it new and fresh, and and no song I think that we've done together has turned out like similar they're, they're sounding the same especially this this last two that we just wrote we wrote this rock odyssey i don't know if you guys want to talk about that at all but I'm, i'd be excited to talk about yeah that but That's we're in the tune. uh we're in the process of writing the prequel to our rock odyssey um <laughs> and the first tune of of the the prequel is called into the sun and it's about 20 minutes long. And it's very, I would say it's very Pink Floydy. It's actually kind of a mix of a little bit of everything that we do. Because it's just kind of, it's a lot. <laughs> it's Into the different. Sun, it sounds like a very early 
Pink Floyd song. Like, now, oh. does it does it cover a lot of the emotions that you talk about yeah. in one twenty minute song? Yes, there's like super oh, high points, epic points. There's like very emotional points. There's some like super heady synth in it. There's like some really insane drums, um, some really beautiful guitar work. There's like some really crazy, intricate, frenetic kind of fishy stuff in the middle, if you want to call it that. But it's just interesting, intricate stuff, which I most often do not equate to fish because it's what I know. Um, and it kind of sounds that it has that dissonance to it that fish does a lot, you know, that kind of reminds me of that. Kind of like a Gaiuti. I don't know if you know if anybody out there knows that tune, but oh yeah, um, I know Gaiuti. Yeah, it kind of kind of reminds me of that a little bit. How do you get? How do you bring that? Um, the the undeniable influence of touring and going along with Fix, Fish and listening to their music and Floyd for that matter over the years. How do you sort of make it neighbor? And when you do, how does that feel when you guys know it's neighbor? Oh, it's it's undeniable. I mean, it's always neighbor. Or, yeah, I mean, it's there's some bands that you listen to and you're like, wow, they're trying to sound like Fish or they're trying to sound like Floyd or they're trying to sound like White Snake. You know what I mean? That right. It's, and this Hopefully this, no this band. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no. <laughs> Don't this white snake, dude. Easy, no. easy, easy. Um, yeah. But in this in this band, I don't. Here think, I go again. I'm sorry. No, I don't uh, think that, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't think that there's one. Um, there's yeah. one band that you'd say, oh, they're trying to be like that. You'd say, oh, they they've definitely been influenced by, uh, you know. Bill Frizzell and this person and Fish and Pink Floyd and this other person, yeah. This person. yeah. But it, it all comes together and it's it's very clear that we have a sound that we have our own. Well, the way I think of it is, is that these are ingredients. Yeah, these are ingredients that you guys have like picked up along the way, and that's how great music is made. And then you make this like yeah. you know yeah. recipe of neighbor. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah you one can... thing I want to mention about Fish is that you know and Chuck. You know, I always bring this up during when 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 we talk about things that either relate to fish is that in 89, I was at University of Vermont, 1989, I was a freshman oh and I walked into this bar called The Front that was uh, the front and the outback in 1989. It was a small bar for probably like, you know, I don't know, there's probably like 150 people in there or less. And Fish was playing and I was in like the front row with my buddy who said, he said, well, we got we heard of this band. They're like going nuts gangbusters in 89 they were just starting to take off wow. and uh i heard you enjoy myself you know i was right next to trey and and then they played foam and then they went into uh runaway gym and then you know there's these songs that took on different emotions that you're telling me about and i remember looking at my buddy chuck actually was his name and i said what the fuck is this <laughs> And I remember saying that I was just like, I'm in love. Like I, yeah. I was transformed. I was an 18 year old transformed. Yep. I bring that up because neighbor is not just about the music, but you said community. Mm. So I'm really interested in that sort of, you know, that bond that people have with each other to support you guys for, for you guys to succeed. Cause that was fish in the eighties. Yeah. Yes, a lot of it was psychedelic. They loved grooving to it. They loved, but they would be waiting. This was pre-internet, you know, and they're waiting for that next show because these were bonds that they could not describe to some other other their other friends. 
Yeah. I, I, one thing that stuck with me that Dean said when he joined the band, I've said this before, is there was some, I think it was an, an interview or something, but Dean said, I've never been in a band where I've seen the fans want the band to like succeed so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, and that's kind of what it is. We, we go there and it's like, I'm fired up because of how fired up people are. You know, yeah. just to just to be there in the lot and to, and to see us play and and it makes us it makes us work that much harder at m making the show more creative, make it more interesting, make it different for the return returning people, but also make it very comfortable for people who are new. Uh, yeah. Make them make them feel comfortable, and it's it's definitely uh, take, takes a little bit of balancing. You know, you gotta. Give them the pine trees and the uh, and the mighty apple, all the tree songs, um, too, <laughs> and then you hit them with like a yo-yo ma, Great Barrier Reef, or something like that. You know, right? Well, when, we, when we were walking around <laughs> when you guys were playing, we were talking to your fans, and we couldn't shut them up. Like they literally would talk for like ten minutes about how you would change their life and how it affected them, and like what they felt when they lit first life for the first time and, and it, it, it sounded like uh, a deadhead who'd been following the dead for 30 years and only you guys have been owning it together for you know a year and a half or so you know that kind of passion it's just like so surprising with a band that hadn't even really had i mean you had some like recordings from your thunder road shows but you had no studio albums out as far as i as far as i know um so everything that they had known about you and all the songs that they knew and the reason yeah. why they loved you was only because of the live shows really uh, well it's like they grew up together which is kind of interesting that the fans in the band grew up have have started together yeah which right. that's another thing it's not just like a fish head or a dead head or something like that but there's something about the the guy the, the guys and girls that you've grown up with i think they they feel ownership they do, and they should. They My yeah. first show, whatever, there was 30-some-odd people there, and we set up, we sound-checked, and the doors opened, and people started coming up to me and introducing themselves. You know, hey, you know, I'm Dave. I've been to a bunch of shows. Can't wait to hear you play. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm Beth. Beth, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, shaking my hand. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, fan number one is Tom Pap, and he just yeah. walked over. He's like, Yo, hold out your arm. So I just held <laughs> out my arm, and he slapped a sparkle bracelet. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet uh, you. I met I like, him, okay. he's, he's the real deal. Yeah, okay. and and they they from that point on, like those 37 people wanted to tell two people, and yeah. the next Tuesday, there was 55 people there. Yep. And they all wanted to tell people. And the next Tuesday, there was 80 people there. And they just want to spread the word. I mean, now on our, our, on our uh, Facebook page, we get all these photos popping up from Fan in Minnesota. He's got his neighbor shirt on. He's got his neighbor hat. He's got a CD. And Ricky was great with right away. We, take, we, uh, recorded, all the, we recorded the board for all the shows. And Ricky turned them into live CDs right away. And we sold them at the next show or the week after. And it was like neighbor disc number one, neighbor disc number two. And we gave a lot of the proceeds uh, to charity out of the gate. Right, Ricky? We did. Yeah. Suicide. I think we started by donating to uh, suicide prevention when, when mm -hmm. I had joined. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you're promoting goodwill. 
you're getting the music out there. Everyone's buying the CDs and giving them to their friends. And it's just like proliferated so quickly. And plus, you know, social media is, you know, more prevalent than ever. Are you finding that you're getting uh, listeners outside of the Boston area? Are, are you spreading over the country? I mean, have you guys haven't been, yeah, you haven't toured outside of Boston, have you? We've been no. to New York City. Yeah, we played in New York after Fish and over New Year's. Yeah, at the Bowery uh, Electric, it was our first play. And that was, Fish. yeah. So that was cool where we were able to play and actually get an audience that came to see us and then went like that afterwards, you know, went right. went to all, all different parts of the yeah. world after that. And there was a lot of people who weren't going to Fish who just came to see Neighbor, which was great. And even came from Boston just to, who weren't going to see Fish just to come see us, which is, which is great. But like Dean said, I, I think the CD thing, it's funny, my, my neighbor across the street over there, he, he owns a record label. Uh, it's called Important Records, and he does all this like really obscure, awesome shit. And he came up to my barn one night. I was like, John, I, I want to show you what I, what I got rolling up here. And he came up and he was just like, his mouth dropped open. And I, you know, I have these like three thermal printers. I have 10 uh, CD, you know, tower duplicators. And they're all running like full speed and they're all pumping out a thousand, you know, a thousand discs. He's like, why? <laughs> why are you burning CDs? He's like, do you know what year it is? You know, like, and I'm like, I'm like, listen, I'm like, listen, man, you have, you have no idea how far this this CD thing has taken us, and yeah. like we have we have people, especially when you're when you're putting a, a portion of it towards something like suicide prevention, like like Dean said, like you're you're giving people something, even though it's you know it's a dated tech, you're still giving them something that they can actually hold, and you can hold it, and the people, the other people, they can't hold it, they can't. They can't get it, and those people need it because they can't just get it for free somewhere else. Yeah, you know what I mean. So people tell each other, "Oh, is that band on Spotify? Oh, let me listen to Spotify, Spotify, Spotify." It's like, no, they're <laughs> not. You need a fucking CD that's burned from this guy's barn. You know what I mean? And that's a little bit of the magic. It's a little bit that some people would say, "Well, that's completely holding them back," but that's I feel like that's a little bit of the magic of of not just putting it all out there and having people do the promotion, do the grassroots promotion aspect of it to tell other people, because I feel like it means something more when there's that human aspect of somebody saying, dude, you got to check this out. Yeah. You know, and then how do you get it? Let me send you a disc or let me, you know, I burn these, let me send you the digital copies or email neighbor tunes at gmail.com. They'll send you like five discs, give them 20 bucks. They'll, you know, donate 10 to suicide prevention and $10 will go back into burning more discs. But that was yeah. my thing. I, you know, I spent 600 bucks on this gigantic op barn operation from some guy who was just get happened to, to get rid of, you know, it was like $4,000 worth of equipment that I got for super cheap. And although it's discs, I just started pumping them out and, and using them as promotion for all the drive-ins. Like I met vendors who were giving out food at the different drive-ins. I gave them like 800 discs. Every taco or burrito that went out at the drive-in, there was a neighbor disc in the back. Went out, you know, and they're driving out of there. What the hell is this? Neighbor opened it up, something physical they can hold. They have a CD player, boom. It's in their ears now. You know what I mean? So, something like, you know, they're just gonna come up with creative ways in order for people to hear it because 
you know, Spotify, yes, it is great. And I, I know that it is great. And I know that it has so many benefits for, for bands, but the way that they treat their artists and that it's just, there's no allure to just being able to get something for free. No, it's been very timely, right, Chuck? That's a whole, that's a whole nine other episodes, I think, right. to, talk about, to talk about Spotify. But um, I, I, you know, even though it is an outdated tech, uh, I still love that you're doing it. And one of the first time, actually, uh, Lyle, the first time I saw you, I think I mentioned this to you, you were playing with Ryan Monblue okay, on right the on. Blues Cruise. Oh, really? And oh, okay, right yeah. There's so many people on the boat. I, I, you couldn't even get a beer because it was so packed. Yeah. It was, it can, it was insane. And you were, I don't know, this had to be 2011, maybe. So you had like longer hair and a big beard. Yeah. And you blew it away. <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever seen someone. The next day, you could buy a CD of the of the song, of the show that you just played at. The next day, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. You could put in the date, and you can, and they, you could get that disc, which I think is yeah. so amazing because that really makes it personal for the listener. Because you can say, "I was at this gig." You can hear me screaming over here that I'm on the CD, or I remember when he did that riff and. It really becomes a personal artifact that's just not some kind of, you know, yeah. Grateful Dead show. I think that's kind of like, um, like, uh, can be kind of tied into like the jam scene and kind of like, I think like certain misconceptions around it. Like, I think there's like this idea that like improvised music or jam band music, it's like people just kind of like go there and like play really long solos and like that's that. Like you're a jam band. It's like I think it's I think it's a really unique situation where you have a group of people who really want to experience something they haven't experienced before. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same thing as like kind of having a list of like 20 tunes and maybe you play like 15 or 16 a night, you know, that are kind of all the same. It's like people come to those shows because they because they know it might be the best one. Like it might be the time that we play their favorite song and we do something that we haven't done before. Or maybe it's the night that like we play their first date, like we play like three songs for the first time. And like one of them is their favorite tune. You know, I think that, I think that willingness to like participate is so, you know, important, you know, and, uh, and then to be able to like, to the, and to be able to like archive all the music and then like spread around like, people's like favorite versions of songs or people's like favorite shows like that doesn't really happen in, in other kinds of music that often you know well it doesn't happen in 2020 a lot so you yeah. know it's like the way that you're doing this with your community is is it's, it seems like it's in your heart it's like what you what you are what you really feel strongly about but it's also brilliant because I, in my opinion, you're, you're building a community in, in a real like sort of quality foundation and you're not just throwing it out there on every platform, right? But at yeah. what point, where, where does that meet the technology? Like I noticed that you guys have amazing recordings of, of live HD video and audio, right? Where that's on YouTube. Like mm-hmm. the stuff that you're doing where you're like making CDs and you're putting them in burritos and like people are like, <laughs> to like give them you know, they're like trading like trading tapes like they did in the 70s like that's like freaking awesome but at the same time like could you imagine like back in the day being like seeing what you guys seeing and hearing on the screen it's exciting yeah. like what do you do what do you do with all that if you don't mind me asking which which show was it 
the second night of the of soundcheck. The evil, evil neighbor night. That was yeah. the evil neighbor night. Why was the evil? No, night? That, I think was that was the, the one the, from the way back. Summer. That was like the one from like July or something. Right? Oh, 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 oh. No, this was like COVID. COVID right. neighbor we, second we night. Did, okay, yeah, we did six shows at, at Soundcheck this this summer, and we did like a whole run of four shows at the end of the summer. Okay, and I, I can we can discuss that a little bit later, but. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that was that was great having one having you guys there with, with extra cameras, uh, yeah. shooting and capturing that. Um, and Soundcheck does a really fantastic job of capturing the vibe of what we're doing. It's a really solid quality uh, audio recording and a really solid uh, video recording. Their AV team is, is really great over there. And that's why we decided to do our final four shows at Soundcheck with their video, with their audio. Because we knew we'd be able to capture some quality shit before we went into this winter and who knows what's going to happen. But we, we knew we'd have plenty of um, content to put out this winter if we did that. And good quality content. That's That stuff, I mean, that stuff's out there and we're slowly, you know, getting it out there. The thing is, I mean, for how well we did, it's not like we have a bunch of money behind us yeah. uh, to really do what we want to do, especially with no friggin' gigs. It's not like, you know, we we killed it this summer. And, like, our fans, they did such a fantastic job making sure they were safe and coming out. And we did a, you know, we did a great job with the venues to make sure that everybody felt safe and was safe at our our shows and everybody was socially distanced and wearing masks and everything. It was a, uh, it was a great summer, but we, we weren't quite able to generate the type of funds that we really needed in order to do something bigger and better at the trajectory that I, f I felt like we were, we mm. were going. Yeah, Cause there's only so many shows you can do at so many venues. Um, but I think, uh, I think that for what we did and the people that we found and the people that we partnered with, I think that, it was just, it was, it all worked really, really well. Um, and I was psyched that you guys were there to capture one of the nights out of the 16. So we would like to thank Richard, Lyle, Dan, and the Ducks for their conversation. Don't forget to listen to part two. Go to AboveTheBasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. From all of us at Above the Basement, thank you for listening. Tell your friends, wear a mask, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. <laughs>